welcome to Delight in the Truth, where the truth of the gospel changes lives. I'm your host, Ronnie Joyce, and I am excited to get back to recording these podcasts with you. So if you have listened to my first podcast, you realize that there's only one, and it was recorded months ago. Um, I have been wanting very much to get back to you and start recording these videos again. But I just wanted to kind of let you know what's sort of been going on. Well, when I got ready to record my second episode, I became really ill and I was sick for a couple of months. It was one of the worst experiences I have physically ever had. I didn't want to get started on this again, just to drop it again. Just as I was starting to feel a little better, I had a relapse. We were able to find some answers, but nothing concrete, but I feel better. God has graced me with some better health and I wanted to jump back in, but then the holidays were on us. We take a week off around Thanksgiving and uh, we take two weeks around Christmas. So I didn't want to start recording just to be off on break. And so I thought I'd wait till the beginning of the year to jump back into this with you. So if you did listen to my first podcast, I talked a lot about biblical illiteracy and how passionate I am about encouraging people in general to come back to God's word, to not just read it for what we call our quiet time for 10, 15 minutes in the morning, but to read it, to eat it, to make it a part of us, to study God's word. It has grieved my heart over the years as I have done Bible study and writing Bible studies and leading women in Bible studies. And I see it often in biblical counseling where men and women who are believers or at least believe that they are believers are struggling because they don't know what God says about anything. And they've allowed the world to tell them what to do, how to live, that kind of thing. Today, this episode is going to be about the three reasons why you and I need to be reading God's word for ourselves every day. What I have found in my own life personally, when I am not in God's word in the morning to start my day, I mean, I really feel that. And the thing is, before I really started uh, reading God's word regularly, I didn't, I never felt that difference. The difference that I feel now that I spend more time reading and understanding God's word and those days that I don't, there's a noticeable difference in my day and how I respond to things, the way I feel about things. And it's enough to draw me back in <laughs> to God's word because I, I hate the way I feel. I don't like how impatient I become when I don't have God's word guarding my day, my responses. When I'm in his word in the morning, it always seems to carry through to my day. There's something in his word that I learned that day that I want to live by. And God tests that in my life. He gives me those opportunities to live those things out. So I notice the difference when I'm not doing that. So I want to jump right in to why I feel like it's so important that you and I are reading God's word for ourselves every day. I find that it's sometimes easier to do things when we have a why. Oftentimes people are telling you, you got to read God's word. You need to read, you need to be in the word. You need to be in the word. And we know this, we know we need to be, but sometimes I think it's a problem of incentive. We don't really know why we should be. Why is it so important? The reason is huge. And so let's just jump in with the first reason. 
the very first reason why you and I should be reading God's word every day for ourselves is to know God. The Bible is God's voice. It's God's word. And if he says that they're going to be false teachers, then we have got to stop pretending like they're not false teachers out there. Just because we like a guy or a girl doesn't mean we should be sitting under their teaching. That said, the scripture is the only place to truly know God. A wonderful pastor with great theological understanding is a wonderful gift from God that you might sit under the teaching of someone who truly knows God from his word, delights in him, wants to share him with, with you and with me. That's a wonderful gift. But the, what makes that a gift is he finds God in the word. He doesn't find God out there and, want to sh and wants to show you and I the God he's found out in the world. Here's the truth. The world is not going to tell you who God is. It may give you false examples of God. It may tell you attributes of God. But wrapped up in all of that, there's always going to be a lie. This idea that God is love. That's true. But the idea that God is love and not wrathful, that's not. The idea that God is all love, only love, and there's he never, he is not angry. He is, he's never angry. He's, he never judges. That's false. God is, in order for God to love, there has to be anger. There is no such thing as love that is never angry because when anything comes against the thing that you love, there is anger and there is righteous anger that God has. When sin ravishes his beloved, God's not happy with that. He's not just, oh, but, but I, I, I love. That's anger. That's righteous anger that he espouses there. You see it all over scripture. How do we know that God gave us his word so that we might know him? That like, this is the place he says to come and look. He speaks in his word, calling us to himself all the time. Jeremiah 29 verses 12 through 14 says this. This Okay, let me preface this because I, I don't like taking things out of context. I need you to understand the context we're talking about here. In this passage, the Israelites, God is talking about the Israelites who are in captivity. Uh, once they've been in captivity, they are going to call out to him. So he is not talking about a people right now that are free and they are living the good life. He has sent them into captivity. Yes, he has sent them into captivity because they refuse to listen to his loving guidance in their lives. They refuse to be obedient to the one true God and they're worshiping false gods. So he sends them into captivity. Now he is saying to them, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That when is very important. And we're going to come back to that. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, he says, declares the Lord and will bring you back from captivity. Okay. Why is when so important? Because how often do we say, I'm seeking the Lord, I'm seeking the Lord, yet we don't seek him with all our hearts. We come to God, we have some problem, we have something we want, we have some job we want, we want, we have some sickness we want to get out from under, or whatever it is, and we say, God, we cry out to God, you know, take this sickness from me, or give me this job, or I want this, or I need this, or I whatever. We seek God, and then we immediately get off our knees and 
get about doing whatever we have to do to accomplish what it is we just asked God for. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that doesn't exactly sound like seeking with all your heart. He says, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So this is not a heart that just is overwhelmed by their circumstances or hurting or wanting or whatever, who plops down on their knees and says, I'm coming to you, God. I know you want me to come to you. I want, there's this job, there's this thing, there's this pain, there's this um, person, there's this death, there's this whatever. Please take it away, give it to me, bring me them, let me not be alone, let whatever. And then that person gets off their knees and they pursue after this person with all their heart or they go and they try all this medications or essential oils or whatever, whatever to, to bring about the relief that we ask God for. We're not really trusting that God's going to give them to us. We are trusting ourselves to figure out how to get these things. These guys are in captivity and they were there for 70 years. And God says when they're done, they will seek me. And they will find me when they seek me with all their hearts. When you seek me with all your heart, you will be found by me. That's a promise. We love God's promises. But what about the promises? What about the, the, the if statement before the promise? If you seek me with all your heart, then you'll find me. We love, if I come to God and seek him, he's going to find But he says, with all your heart. Let's not forget that. When we come to God, we need to get ourselves out of the way. To give God all our hearts means to let go of all the things that we think we want before coming to him. Say I'm a single woman and I want a relationship so badly. I'm praying for God to give me a relationship. I don't want to be alone. The person seeking God with all their heart comes and they say, God, I don't want to be alone. I'm just letting you know my heart, but help me to understand why I'm so passionate about not being alone. Why it bothers me so much. When you have promised to be everything I need, why have I placed a relationship so highly that I, I come to you begging for someone, that you give me someone? My heart is not seeking you, God, completely. What I'm seeking is for you to give me what I want. That means I haven't given you all my heart. My heart still belongs to me and my desires. I can't seek God with all my heart if my desires and my passions are what I'm seeking with all my heart and God is the means to that end. Does that make sense? So he wants us to seek him with all our hearts. He wants us to find him. And he's given us this word so that we might. He says in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. There is an object 
to the asking and the seeking and the knocking, and that's God. It's nothing else. He is talking about himself. Come to me, knock and keep on knocking. Don't stop knocking. Seek me. Seek me. Again, this is, you know, with, with all your heart. Seek me and you will find me. Seek me with all your heart. Knock and the door will be open. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. It's This is a continuous thing. This is not knock once, get off your knees, go and figure out how you get this done. He wants us to know him. So what happens when we do all this knocking and seeking and, and asking? When we come to God's word, the more we know it, the more we know who God is and how he acts. So when we want or desire or need something, we go to our knees and try to figure out in prayer with God, what would you have me have? What would you have me do? We began to seek God's ways and we get to know how he responds to things, what he says about things. And we, we, the more we study this, the more we know that sometimes a lot of the things that we're asking for are not right asking. James says the reason why you don't have is because you don't ask. But we say, well, that's not my problem. I ask all the time. <laughs> yeah, but then James goes further. He says, but then when you do ask, you write, you ask with all the wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on yourself. You see, I want this relationship so that I can be happy. Not that this relationship can glorify God. Will a relationship be what glorifies God in my life right now? Will my singleness glorify God more? Help me, God, to embrace what you have for me because that's where the good is, not what I want. So we want to seek God with all our heart. And I will know if I'm in his word that he has promised that if I seek his face, he will be found by me. That is a promise to seek him with all my heart. He will be found. Don't let anyone tell you he won't come. So this leads me to the second reason why you and I should be reading the scriptures for ourselves every day. So I said in the first point that the world is never going to tell you about God. It's never going to tell you who the real true God is. Even if it's willing to tell you about a God, it's not going to tell you about the God of the scriptures because the world right now is owned by the enemy, the devil, and he has his minions all over it and it works against God. So if the world is not going to tell you who God is, I guarantee you, it's not going to tell you who you are either. So <laughs> the world is going to tell you you're okay. You're practically a good person. You just get things wrong. That God isn't really angry with you. He loves everybody, that kind of thing. The world will tell you that you don't need God, that you can self-help yourself. <laughs> self-help, you can fix what's broken. You just have to try hard enough and you have to, you know, have enough technique in place and uh, you have to believe and you have to you know, think a lot about whatever it is you want and it'll manifest itself or whatever random thing that it will tell you. The scriptures, on the other hand, will be completely honest about who you really are. And you might not like it up front, but that's what makes the good news good news. Because if you and I both thought that we were just okay or that, that we weren't okay, 
and there was no way of getting out, you know, there's no way of getting around that or getting out of that, then there's not good news. But let me tell you what the Bible tells you about you, <laughs> about me. The word sinner <laughs> is a bad word in our culture, right? I mean, you might as well be, with some people, you might as well be dropping F-bombs. Like you and I are not sinners. I am not a sinner. Um, I do good things. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I give money to this charity or that charity. I'm, I give my tithes. We're all such Pharisees. You know, we tithe 10%. I'm not a bad person. But let me read to you what the Bible says about us. God is honest at all times. As he says in the Old Testament, I am not like man that I should lie. I love that passage. So what does the Bible say about you and me? Let's look at Romans 3. I'm going to read verses 9 through 18. I'm reading from the, N from the NIV in case uh, you're following along with me. Uh, and it sounds weird to you. So it's the NIV. What shall we include then? I'm sorry. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one, not even one. There is no one righteous, not even one. So when we say that I'm a good person, there is no one righteous, not even you, not even me, not even one. There is none, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Let me repeat that. <laughs> there is no one who does good. The Bible says that. Who are we going to believe? The random person who has no ability to make or break you and I. They have no power to get you to heaven or hell. They cannot take from you your own breath. Or are we going to believe the God who gives you that breath, who can take that breath, who does hold the power of heaven or hell in his hands, who created heaven and hell and you and me and every planet, every everything on the earth, everything under the earth, everything in the seas, everything everywhere, who owns everything. Who are we going to believe? I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe him. We would never seek God without God. God is the reason why we seek God. And we would never do anything good if it did not benefit us in some way. Pure good, the kind of pure good that there, this passage is talking about, without God, we would never do it. So again, verse 12b, there is no one who does good, not even one. 13, their throats are like open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of the viper is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that's it right there. This one line tells you why all the rest exist. Why all those other verses exist. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And without that fear of God, we are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark our ways. We can't do good. That's what the Bible says about us. But don't give up hope because 
it also says verse 21 through 24. And that says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which of the law, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe, all who believe. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace. All has fallen short. There are none who do good. Can I beat a dead horse? But there are none who do good, but all are justified freely by grace through the redemption that comes through Christ Jesus. You and I without Christ are dead, dead to our sin, completely dead, not sick, not okay, dead. Dead people don't do good things. They're dead. It is through the resurrected life of Jesus Christ in us that makes us new. And we now through his grace are redeemed. That's what the Bible says. Don't forget it is through Christ that you're saved. If there's any good in you, if there's any good in me, it's nothing we have done for ourselves. Remember, none. There are none that do good. There is none that do good. Okay. We have all sinned and fallen short. All of us. We are to exhort one another. We are to call out each other's sins. Let's just be honest. I mean, our hearts are dark. We can't see what's in our own hearts and we need each other. That's why God set this thing up like this. That's not a bad thing. It's not just judging. It is first, you know, acknowledging in ourselves that we can do nothing good and that we also have fallen short to recognize our own mess. And then we can talk to you about the speck in your eye. After we first dealt with our log, we know that passage. We know that passage well. So all have fallen short. The Bible tells us who we are. We are sinners in need of grace. We are sinners in need of a savior. And it is in grace that we have been saved, those of us who believe. So if you believe in Christ Jesus and you confess him with your mouth, and you are obedient to him out of love, you know there's that obedience comes from loving him. It's not because of anything you have done for yourself. Let me tell you what the Bible, what else the Bible says. So, so the Bible tells you who you are because the world's not going to do that. And it doesn't just leave you there. It doesn't say, well, you're a sinner. Once you receive Christ, now you're saved. Sometimes that's as far as we go with our ministry to other people, but there's more there. Now, don't hear me say that this is work-based. I'm simply saying the Bible also tells us how to live in a corrupt world. God gives us the ability to, and it tells us that. But we need to know now, I've done it this way all these years. Now what do I do? I mean, how do I live differently? I mean, I bet when you first became saved, all the things that you did wrong had to go swimming through your head and you must have thought, I mean, I know I did. How do I fix this? How do I fix the person that I was? God will fix it in you. You are his workmanship to do good works. And he's going to do that work. It is him that enables us to do. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me here, or I'm just going to turn to 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. Um, okay, 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. 
You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. Listen here, listen. This is what God says about you and me, not anybody, not everybody, about you and me, those of us who are believers. So again, the world's not going to tell you about who you are in Christ because they don't like Christ. They don't like this Christ, the Christ of the Bible. So they're going to tell you a lot of other things, but you need to hear this because your behavior, the way you live, if this is true, something must change, right? I mean, something's got to change. This is what the Bible is saying of you and me. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God, the people of God. You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You and I are a royal priesthood. Think about what that means. How does the royal priesthood behave? The priesthood, the priests, they come to sacrifice, to give worship, to pray on behalf of the people, to pray on their own behalf because they realize they were, what, what, that they're human, what they're capable of. You and I are that, a royal priesthood. When was the last time you prayed for someone? Not that they can have something or get something or get better or feel safe or all those are good. But what if God wants them to be sick right now? What if he's teaching them something in that? What if, what if the trial they're going through is needed for them? And all we're praying is that God could let them get through it. We need to learn to pray, learn to pray. Well, the priests, they prayed on behalf of the people. They worship God. They taught the people to worship God. What it meant to worship him and to worship false idols. This is who you and I are today, a royal priesthood. This is New Testament. This is not Old Testament. So this is for us today. A little, a little more here. I'm going to have you turn to 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. This passage is so important because we, we walk around like people who don't have the ability to do these things. We don't, we're, we're waiting to be blessed. We're waiting some, for some bigger blessing, some other blessing that... To, to live out this life. We keep waiting for something else. But listen to what 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9 says. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and goodness. So let me say that again. His divine power, God, God's divine power, has given us, you and me, everything, not some things, 
everything, everything. And it means, you know, we love to get caught up in what does the Greek word mean? It means everything. And he's given us everything. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. Why do we read the Bible? So that we might know him, right? First reason why we read the Bible, so we might know him, a knowledge of him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we we need to know him, we need to read this word. And through this word, God has given us everything we need to know through this knowledge of him, everything we need to know through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his goodness. Through his glory and his goodness. So it's not just for his glory, though that's should be that's enough, but it's also his goodness. Verse 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, through the promises, you may participate in the divine nature. Promises like what? Like he will be with us even until the end of the age. Like go make disciples, people. Go make disciples because you don't have to worry because I'll be with you. Like you can do this because I will be with you. That's our job. Make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all these things that God has taught us. And he will be with us until the end of the age. He will not leave us. He will be with us. I don't care how hard things get. I don't care what people say. I don't care if the world seems to be melting around you. He promises he will never leave you. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Now, does this mean that you're going you're gonna to escape the world? No, because you're in it and you're not going anywhere until God comes to get you. So you're in it. So what does he mean by um, that you're going to escape the corruption of the world? He's talking about you, the individual, as he teaches you, as you obey this word, as you apply what you learn in his word every day, your nature starts to change. Your inner being starts to, to change. Your heart changes. You become a new creature. You're no longer like the world and you escape all of the sin and all the ugliness that the world is pouring out on a regular basis in their lives. You've escaped it because you're no longer that anymore. You are a new creature in Christ. We will not escape it by we're waiting for the rapture when things start getting bad. We're waiting for the rapture. So you escape it by being more and more pliable in the hands of God, allowing him to change you and more and more till you're no longer in that corruption uh, of this world. Verse five says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, knowledge. Okay. <laughs> knowledge just brings you right back to the scriptures again. What other knowledge does God want you to know? More of the knowledge of God. Okay, so self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and godliness, 
mutual affections, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So if you're still wondering what you have to do to live a godly life, you have all these sins, you have all this stuff, you, are, you have been cleansed of your sins by Jesus' death on the cross. Though we still sin every day, our feet are dirty, you know, as Jesus says, I don't, I don't have to wash you. I mean, you're already clean. I just need to wash your feet. You know, you have to walk this life. So in this life, there's, you're still traipsing through the mud. So we're going, we're falling and we're getting our feet washed on a daily basis, you know, but overall we're cleansed of our sins. As far as the East is from the West, you're cleansed. We have to remember this. If we truly belong to God, we can know that we are cleansed of our sins, that we are no, we don't have to battle with our past sins anymore. They're gone. They're not a spot or a stain on you anymore. This should bring praise, excitement. You got to love the God that says no more of that. That's all gone. I've cleaned you up. I've taken care of all of it. Now follow me. Just follow me and trust me. I got you. I love you. I'll protect you. Even when things are hard, I'm in it even till the end of the age. This is who we are and this is what God requires of us. This is how we live. This is, the Bible tells us how we live. It tells us, there's just so many passages, so many that I don't have to guess at this stuff. I do have another passage here. You can look it up yourself. In 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 21, please look it up yourself. I'm gonna move on to our third reason. The third reason why we should read our Bibles for ourselves every day is to understand what's happening in our world. We need to know what's going on around us. We need the truth. In a world that says truth is whatever you want it to be, well, it's not. And so how do we know what real truth is when, when everyone seems to think that whatever you feel should be true? The scriptures keeps us, it keeps us grounded here. I mean, we need this so much. I mean, our world is a wreck right now. Here in America, we're telling people that it's okay to kill babies as, I mean, like a form of birth control. Like this is not right. That's murder in the eyes of God. We've shed innocent blood like crazy. And now we're telling our first and second graders that if you think you're a boy and you have a girl body, it's okay. You can, you can change that. And your mommy and your daddy have to let you. Like, that's true. Like, you have to be true to you and how you feel. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's not even half of what's going on right now, you know. How do you clear up the mud? How do you get through the muck? You turn to God's word. Read the book of Habakkuk and think about our time. Let me know you read it. Send me some comments on that book. Tell me what you think. And tell me if you don't see what's, what's happening today right there in, in the book of Habakkuk. I mean, in several New Testament books, you know, these books talking about false prophets. We have false prophets all over the place right now. It is so hard to find a Bible-believing church right now. My husband and I just started going to an, a wonderful church, Redeemer Bible Church in uh, Gilbert, 
solid biblical teaching. And I'm, uh, I cannot thank God enough for these, these men and these, uh, these pastors, their hearts for God and how they're just pushing back against this culture right now. And I, I came to this church because my husband was just feeling like he wasn't being like, he didn't know what his gifting was and there was no one to help him and to lead him. And it's just so hard. We were trying to find a smaller church where my husband wouldn't slip through the cracks that just taught the scriptures. <sighs> we, we looked for a year. It was exhausting. We just thought, okay, we're going to just pray. We were praying through the process, but we kept going. We just thought maybe it's just meant for us to stay here. We're just going to stop moving and pray until you give us some clear direction. And this is where we believe God has brought us. They're out there. So look for them. Don't get exhausted. Just keep praying. Keep doing what's good. Pray. God will lead you to where you, where you should be. I don't know why I went down that road, but the world, <laughs> to understand what's happening in the world. Romans 1, um, verses 18 through 31, gives us a real clear picture of what's happening in our culture today, in our world today, and why. I have felt that God has taken his hand off of America. It's been, gosh, I think I have felt this way for almost 10 years. And I've prayed and prayed. And this this passage, these passages, has helped, is, is, it was through these passages that I actually start to see that, that I start to see God, that, that giving over that God keeps talking about in this passage. In these passages, Paul mentions that God gave them over three times. The first was to sexual impurity. So like the sexual revolution, you know, this whole thing back in the sixties and, and all of that. Um, and then he gives them over again to here. I'm just going to, I'm trying to paraphrase it when I can just read it. Verse 18 says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We have no excuse. God has made it clear. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God, here's the first, gave them over to sinful desires, gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. So the sexual revolution where everyone was free love and it was everyone could, you know, women are no longer prudes. We can sleep with whoever we want to just sleep with anyone. Why the guys can do it, men can do it. Why can't we do it? Well, they're not supposed to do it either. So. You know, my mother used to say, if someone jumped off a cliff, everyone's mother used to say that, right? If you jump off a cliff, you're going to jump off the cliff too? Well, this is us. Well, then, of course, we're jumping off the cliff. If a man can jump off the cliff, I can jump off the cliff better. <laughs> That's where we feel. <laughs> I can jump better. I can do somersaults off that cliff. <laughs> anyway, 
Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts, gave them over to shameful lusts. Now this second giving over isn't like man with woman doing whatever they want. Listen, even their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves due penalty of their error. In themselves. This is like disease and things like that. Then he says, further, just as they did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over here again a third time. And this is where I think we are in our our culture. This is why I I feel like no one's thinking, no one's like using their their heads. They're all running around in a fit of emotions and no one's stopping to think. If they just stop to say, to 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 be reasonable, to be rational. God gave us really rational brains and we we can do this. We can think. We can process information. But it's like no one's doing that. No one's stopping to think and to think how this could end up. How does unity become unity if you separate everybody? I mean, how how does that work? How how does a, a, a society thrive if everyone is not who they think they are and they're turning themselves into what they want, they feel they are. How does this work? So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to, what ought not to be done. They have become filled. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and, oh, I lost my spot and depravity. Listen to this description, okay? They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. (laughs) I love that they just stick that in there. I mean, they disobey their parents. That was a, a, a serious offense um, back in biblical days. The children were supposed to obey their parents. And it was a very, very serious offense when they did it. So that always feels like, what? <laughs> That's a little thing. It's not a little thing. And it's still very serious today because God gives children parents to help lead them and to guide them um, away from these things. And some us. Uh, Some parents are not taking that role seriously. They don't want to put in the hard work. Um, So anyway, verse 31, they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that these who do such things deserve death, they do not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, if that doesn't sound like what's going on in our culture today, in our uh, political arenas, in our personal lives, in our families, at work, uh, on social media, all these things, 
And God tells us to be watchful for these things. When this that when this stuff is happening, when this stuff starts happening, that he says, when we start to see the signs, it means it is at the door. The end is at the door. So we are to be paying attention, not being afraid because God says he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he will be with us even till the end of the age. We, we don't have to be fearful, but we need to be praying for our, for our culture, for our presidents, for our neighbors. We need to, these signs that should press us into action. We don't have that much time left. What neighbor do you know is maybe Mormon? We live in Gilbert. There's like, my husband used to say, you can't swing a stick without hitting a Mormon. So he's meaning that like, there's no good reason why we're still doing what we're doing. We could be sharing the gospel with them. We can't act like all of our neighbors are saved. We can't act like all of our our neighbors know the Lord because we live in a, a, a highly Mormon um, state. So we can bet that's, that at least if, if you have neighbors on both sides of you, one in front of you, one in back of you, somebody in that four will more than likely be Mormon. And so you could share the gospel with them and um, stop closing the door in their faces, you know, doing crazy things like that. That's not helping. It's not getting you anywhere. And if you have family and you're still saying, well, I still have time with them. I still have time. You, ha you have no idea how much time you have. So we need to, to get about knowing what God wants. I mean, sh reading God's word first, because we need to know what God wants. And then practicing that, putting it into practice and doing what God asks of us. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 9 um, is another uh, really powerful verse for me. I, I This one has haunted um, me for 10 years. Whenever I hear this passage, I, I see more and more. I remember that was the first thing God opened my eyes to. Um, I was leading a, a women in Bible study about 10 years ago, and I was um, studying 2 Timothy. And I just got so stuck on these passages. Listen, verse 9. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3. Let's start with I just started verse one. Um, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Listen, listen to this. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobe disobedient to their parents. Doesn't it sound a little familiar? Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having, this is the thing here, having a form of godliness, but denying his power, a form of godliness, but denying his power. How many believers, self-proclaimed believers do you know? that look nothing like Christ, but they claim Christianity while talking progressively about God, like God is progressive, like he continues to change, never expecting the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. He is the power that changes us, but they, there's no 
no inkling that that's what they believe that like there's no showing of that in their lives what about you you know i have to, i ask myself this all the time do i does my life look like one that the holy spirit has his way in having a form of godliness but denying its power having nothing to do he, he says have nothing to do with such people have nothing to do with such people then he says they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down by sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. They're learning from everything but the Bible. They're hearing from everyone but God. They come to their homes, they tell them about their God. Believers that, are, that claim to be Christian, we're not even talking about just like Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses that come to your door. We're talking about other believers that you actually welcome in that are now saying things like God is progressive. Like he didn't really mean that about homosexuality back then. That was what we came out of it with. We determined that that was what, what God meant by that. And because they're never learning from the scriptures where knowledge actually dwells, they're willing to accept any teaching tossed back and forth by the waves of all kinds of teaching. Why do you and I need to read the Bible for ourselves every day? Because we need to know our God in a time like now in this culture, where no one is going to tell you about who God is, you need to know your God. You need to know how he acts, what his voice sounds like. You need to know how he, what he does, how he deals with you as opposed to how he deals with those who hate him, his enemy. And you need to believe that what he says about you is truth, that how he will respond to you will be true. Secondly, we need to know what the Bible says about who we are before Christ and in Christ. And once we're in Christ, we need to add, we need to put our lives up against his book all the time. We don't need to compare ourselves with each other. And it's going to do you no good because you don't know me in my private life. And I don't know you in your private life. And I may look great on the outside and you may look great on the outside. I got problems. <laughs> I got problems and you got problems. The difference is how we deal with those problems. We need to, my life needs to constantly come up against the mirror of God's word. And if I don't see his reflection shining back at me, then I've got to change. The world isn't going to tell you who you are. Not really. So don't believe the world. Believe what God says. <coughs> Thirdly, so that we can know and understand what's happening in the world that God created. That is overcome by evil. And we can know that God is still here. No matter how ugly it gets, he's still here. 
He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us to, um, those who love him. He has, I believe, left the world to their own devices. He has left the United States, put taken his hands off of us. Um, I love that he does that because it takes him to finally stop for us to see how much we need him. Um, this is a good thing, not a comfortable thing, but it's very good. We need it. But remember, for those who are his children, he may have taken his hands off the United States, but his hands are always on you. He loves you. He desires good for you. So don't be fearful. Come to his word. Pray before you turn a page. Ask him to help you. He delights in doing so. Delights in it. There are some really good helps out there. Um, one of my favorites is the one by K. Arthur, Arthur. Arthur. I can't ever say Arthur. K. Arthur? <laughs> um, I, I don't... Um, anyway. K. Arthur. <laughs> um, there are other books about how to read the Bible um, for all it's worth. There's one called that, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I can't think of the, the um, authors right off the bat, and I will figure out how to get them in the um, notes. Um, but please, um, please don't be illiterate to God's word. It is the most important book you will ever read. It is the most important subject ever in life. There is nothing greater, nothing more important. There is no one more worthy of your time and efforts. And please stop trying to convince yourself that you don't have enough time. Because if you have enough time to turn on a television, you have enough time to read the Bible. And if you're one who doesn't have enough time to turn on your television, you have enough time to do something. And if you don't, you need to find what it is in your life you need to let go. Because if you are so busy with work or whatever, and you don't have time for the God who made you. Um, again, like I said, we just need to use our minds, use our brains. That's not a good situation to be in. Um, you will lack in that situation. So, I am going to close <laughs> this very long podcast today um, by saying I am praying for you. Um, I look forward to hearing your comments. Um, if you uh, like this podcast, please um, click like. I'm not used to saying all of that. But uh, <laughs> um, please join me here. I, I will be recording um, weekly, uh, hopefully, um, if God wills. Uh, from today forward, God willing. Um, our next subject will be how to read the Bible. Um, I want to give you some techniques to be able to, uh, first, just to, to give you some good study um, practices 
Uh, we're going to go through a few things just to kind of get you ready to study before we even jump into study because that's that's a, is really important. We need to set aside time and things like that. So we're going to go through some steps to prepare you to do some really good Bible study. And I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God will give you, you know what, let me just pray. Glorious Father, Abba Father, you are so good. You are worthy of our time, our attention. You are amazing. We want more of you. We want to know you. I pray for everyone who hears this video. Please, God, I pray that you will set in their hearts a desire to know you more, that you will set in their heart a passion to be with you. Even when it's hard, I pray that you will move their feet to that place of quiet, that you will draw them in. I pray every time they sit with you, Father, they may find something new that you teach them about yourself or about, about themselves. I pray that they will fill your presence with them. But Father, I pray that they will not become addicted to a feeling, but that instead they will, they will come in faith to know that whether they feel you there that day or not, that you are there because you have promised and you are not like man that you should lie. So Father, make this time rich for them. I pray that you, they will learn who they are in you for all those who feel helpless or lost or depressed or anxious, that they might know that they have you, Father. And I pray that they will have a desire to tell others to read their Bibles, to encourage others to read their Bibles, that they will take the skills they learn and share it with others. I pray that you will start a revolution again of people who love their Bibles again, who love to be with their God. I pray all these things that you alone, God, might be glorified, that you alone might get all the praise, all the worship. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So hey, loved ones, thanks again for joining me here again this week on Delight in the Truth, where the truth of the gospel changes lives. Be blessed, and I will see you here next week. Delight in the Truth is brought to you every week by Genesis One Biblical Counseling. This program is not counseling via podcast. If you find that you are in need of biblical counseling and would like to set up an appointment, please feel free to contact me at my office at 480-340-1381 or go online to genesis1bc.org for more information or to make an appointment.